Welcome to the Green Lectionary Podcast, a production of Creation Justice Ministries. The Green Lectionary is a conversation on scripture through the lens of creation justice. My name is Derek Weston, and today we'll be looking at a text for the first week of the season of creation. For those that don't know, the season of creation is a liturgical season stretching from September 1st through October 4th that calls us to a time to renew our relationship with our Creator and all creation through celebration, conversation, and commitment. This episode was recorded at the Wild Goose Festival this past July in Union Grove, North Carolina, and we were joined by three guests. Deborah Reinstra, a professor of English at Calvin University and author of Refugia Faith, Seeking Hidden Shelters, Ordinary Wonders, and the Healing of the Earth. Katie Steinberg, senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Daytona Beach and founder of The Missing Peace. And Josh Scott, lead pastor at Grace Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and author of Bible Stories for Grownups, Reading Scripture with New Eyes. Here's our conversation from the Wild Goose Festival. Let the songs of the waterland and sky resound, cause together we are all bound within these pages. There's always new life to be found. Hello, everyone. I am Derek Weston, the Theological Education and Training Coordinator for Creation Justice Ministries. Um, And for those of you who don't know, Creation Justice Ministries educates, our mission is to educate, equip, and mobilize Christian individuals, congregations, denominations, and communions to protect, restore, and rightly share God's creation. Um, So this is, this recording is going to be the premiere episode of a podcast that we are calling the Green Lectionary Podcast. Um, What we are trying to encourage people to do, particularly lectionary preachers, is to understand that our scriptures can be read through an ecological lens Um, and that because of the context in which scripture was written in most of our scripture can be read through said ecological lens Um, and so we have done a couple of pilot episodes of this we've kind of tinkered with this idea but this will be sort of the um, launching of this which will um, we're going to be dealing with texts that are Um, for the season of creation. Um, For a lot of people, the season of creation is sort of a newer idea. The season of creation are the four Sundays that are uh, between September and October. Um, And it is a time set aside to celebrate um, our place in God's creation, our place in preserving God's creation. Um, And uh, we'll take that time to um, really encourage people to think about how this affects their preaching. What we're going to do is um, we're, we're going to read one passage. There's been one passage from the lectionary for the week that is the first Sunday of September, um, September 3rd, which is the beginning of the season of creation. Um, there's one passage that uh, our panel kind of was drawn to, which I love that everyone was kind of interested in talking about this one passage. And this is Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, 
for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, Further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has, come, has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is God's name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. God said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. All right, so folks, the first question is, where is creation in this passage? I'd just like to thank you, Derek, for giving us a challenge by choosing the regular revised common lectionary passages <laughs> rather than the season of creation lectionary. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that's just too on the nose. It and really was. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> we needed a challenge. So this has been really fun to think about this passage. I would just start out with two things. Um, one is verse three, uh, chapter three, verse eight. When God says, I have come to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. And this is what uh, uh, Paul Santmeyer would call the ecological motif in the Bible in which salvation is really migration to a good land. Mm -hmm. It's particular, it's tactile, it's real, it's about land, it's about creation itself. And the other thing I would notice in this one is a kind of tension in the passage between God as the universal God, not just a located ancient Near Eastern God of a particular place or particular tribe, but the universal God. And that's really when God reveals God's name. I am who I am. I shall be what I shall be. It's, it's a way of saying I am being itself. I am the foundation of all existence. And a tension between that and a God who's very particular, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a God that you can worship on this particular mountain. So I think it's really interesting to kind of explore that tension between a God who is universal and over all things and a God who acts in very particular ways in history, in land itself. I love that you pulled out who God is in this passage. And what's interesting is that um, in contrast, I'm thinking about who Moses is in this passage. And I'm thinking like, what a different story it would be if Moses was impatient and was like, I'm going to light this bush on fire, y'all. 
see what happens you know what i mean like i feel like as a as a western white middle class american person um so often i feel like well the the initiation is me I have to go and do and start and make things happen. And I feel like in a passage like this, it's like, no, 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 no. Hold on. Whoop, hold up. Hold up, little lady. <laughs> um, I am God and I am the one who will begin these things and call these things and start these things. And it, for me, it helps me to get my uh, perspective straight because it's not just about me starting and doing. It's about me waiting and listening and being called into the thing. And that's how I know where to act. Because when I think about sort of ecological issues, I'm like, this is too big. It's too much. I can't do anything. What can I do? I can like stop throwing, buying individually wrapped Cheez-Its and like putting the trash, you know, like what, what am I, what kind of difference is that going to make? Um, and I feel like this invites me to like, think about that God is going to blow something up in front of me in undeniable ways that call me into where I'm supposed to be. And I'm going to go, Hey God, I don't know how to do this. What am I supposed to say? And God's going to provide even that. So for me, this, I feel so much pressure relief of this idea that it's all on me to make and do and become and have all the answers and know what to do but I guess maybe that sort of cliche idea of like God doesn't call the equipped but equips the called mm. kind of piece mm -hmm. so even as somebody who's not an expert in what it would mean to make ecolog ecological change or to for Moses make these major changes in what it looks like to be a follower of God and who this God is mm. moving and being in the world um you know, it's such an invitation to me to be like, no, 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 it's okay, baby. It's okay. I'm going to call you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make it real obvious. But take off your shoes, honey, because this is, this is special. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I, I love the, the phrase that is repeated in verses 3 and 4. I must turn aside. And so he turns aside. Yes. And things in Hebrew storytelling aren't repeated for nothing. So the idea that when there's some extraordinary calling it means you have to turn aside from whatever, you know, sheep herding you were doing. Deborah, I don't know if you were intentionally, uh, I'm guessing you were quoting Paul Tillich there with God as being itself. Yeah, he was floating in the room, um, yeah. But I, I absolutely love that. You know, the question, where is creation in this passage? Uh, when I read the passage, I immediately thought, where isn't creation in this passage? Because creation is everywhere, mm. right? Moses is out tending the herd, the flock, right? It's a, it's a very earthy thing. He's on a mountain, which is a very hard, severe, earthy mm -hmm. thing. And then you have, like, where does the divine speak? It's from within this flaming bush, which is creation itself speaking to Moses yeah. and calling Moses, to your point, about to go, we're going we're gonna to liberate a people, and we're going to go to a land, not, not the land of oppression, um, but to the land flowing with milk, and honey, right? So all throughout this passage, it, it, I mean, where's, where's creation? Close your eyes and point to a verse, and you'll find somehow creation interacting with this idea of Moses being called, this idea of liberation. And of course, this passage, in so many ways, flips on its head the very notion of the ancient world, which is God is on the side of the powerful. And if somebody's in power, it's because the gods have willed it. Mm. And in this passage, we find the divine who's actually not on the side of the powerful, not on the side of Pharaoh, not on the side of the oppressor, but the divine is on the side of the oppressed and wills their liberation. And it's through a bush. And one of my favorite, and, and if I think my church is probably, by, by the time um, this comes out, we'll probably be tired of hearing this motif ref reference because it's come up a lot lately. But just this idea of Moses coming to the realization, the ground is holy. Mm -hmm. The ground is holy. And, and, you know, this 
Exodus is going to lead to some commands. One of them is to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And I just had this realization that I think part of that command is not that the Sabbath is the only day that is holy, but is by honoring the Sabbath, whether that is a human Sabbath, an animal Sabbath, a creation Sabbath, because they're all commanded and invited in the Torah, that by honoring the rhythms of creation, what we actually do is we begin to recognize by one day being holy or one moment being holy, we recognize that the whole thing has been holy all the time. Mm. And the reality is, if we get tired of taking off our shoes and putting them back on, we, should, we may just leave them off. Mm. <laughs> because that's actually what's going on here. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Um, because I, I think, similarly, I come back to the idea that what God is saying to Moses isn't, hey, this particular piece of land is holy. Could you please stop and recognize the holiness of the ground? Mm-hmm part of recognizing God is recognizing the holiness of the land that God has created and God's attempt to restore our relationship to God's creation. And would you please just stop, take a moment, take your shoes off. Um, I, I like that your, your God is kind of sassy. Oh, Katie, totally when, sassy. When, when, she's, when she says sassy. this, really <laughs> sure. enjoy that. Yeah. Um, but the God is kind of calling us to take our shoes off and recognize not just the holiness holiness of this land, but the holiness of soil. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be a new land with new soil that I'm calling your people to reestablish relationship with me. Um, I find that incredibly compelling. I also, as someone, um, I'm not sure for all of you, uh, I know some of you are farther, a bit farther south than where I live in Baltimore, but in Baltimore, we've had pretty smoky skies a lot of this summer. And the idea of God being found in the fire of a shrub is, um, I don't know. Challenging. Challenging is is probably the best word for it. Yeah. Um, So I, I love, I love where all of your minds and imaginations went in terms of thinking about where is creation in this passage. So where is, where is God calling us, God's people, to interact with creation in this story? And I think we've touched on this a little bit, but love to hear more what your thoughts are on where is God calling us to interact with creation? Mm-hmm. I think the starting point for me is kind of what you were saying about like the take off the shoes thing, the like recognizing the holiness and the sanctity. Um, and I, you know, I'm from Florida and um, we often in our dry season have to have controlled burns, right? Which help keep bigger burns from happening. And this is just what kind of came up for me. And when there are uncontrolled burns, they, just as it sounds, right? They burn out of control. And it's when the problems come and it affects housing and it affects so much of our environment, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it just occurs to me that like, I need to get clear about what my role is or otherwise it's an uncontrolled burn. You know mm. what I mean? Like I'm not focusing in. I'm not, I think, uh, you know, sort of the Hippocratic oath comes up for me first, do no harm, mm. you know, and let's recognize the holiness and make sure that we're acting with intention towards this space and listening first, you know, he, again, he didn't come up and light the bush on fire and go, all right, God, let's talk. 
You know what I mean? Like we let God act and guide and invite and bring us toward and sort of assign us what is ours to do. And I think we just have to have that openness and it's so countercultural from the idea that we're supposed to have all the answers and know what to do and activate and get up and make things happen and push until you have nothing left to give. Um, to me, this is a very countercultural message. Yeah, I think one of the things I would say is pay attention, right? Like, you know, one of the conversations um, in the Jewish tradition is how many times had Moses walked by that bush? Yeah. And how many times had the bush been on fire? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's when he realizes that he takes off his shoes. Mm. And it's sort of this, this pay attention. Um, there's, there's a curiosity built into this. Mm. That's the way I often talk about the story. Moses has this curiosity that for so many, you know, I grew up uh, evangelical and we had the curiosity beaten out of us at a very early age. Mm where you're, you're not allowed to ask questions, you're not allowed to, you know, paying attention was the thing that would get you in trouble um, because it might cause you to question the narrative. And what Moses does here is he begins to pay attention. And when he pays attention, he comes to the conclusion, oh my gosh, this, this thing has been going on. And now, to your point, Katie, I, now I'm being invited to join it. Like this has not been, this is not Moses initiating a movement. I mean, based on the rest of the text where he's like, can you please find anyone else? (laughs) Like anybody. I don't care who, anybody else. Moses is not uh, like at the front of the line saying, I want to be the liberator. But there's this sense of he becomes aware and he gets invited into this movement of liberation. uh, And creation is such a deep part of that in this text. And then I would say, you know, about the, the flame in the bush. I think the interesting detail is this flame does not consume. Yeah. It's burning, but it's not destroying. Um, and, and I think there's a way of talking about there, there is this burning bush in some ways symbolizes the passion of God for justice, the passion of God for liberation. Um, and that can be a flame, right? We, we often describe passion in fiery terms, but it doesn't consume and it doesn't harm. What it actually does is it frees. Um, and so I, I wonder, as we think about this passage, how that idea of passion and God's passion for justice, but not just justice for people. I think God cares very much about justice for people. Mm-hmm. But it becomes evident throughout the text of the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures that um, God has a passion for justice for God's creation. Um, even with the instruction about land and how land is not to be treated and how it's to be given a rest and how you don't sell this. You don't, like, there's just this whole care for creation and this understanding that it's all on loan. And we, we are uh, borrowing it for our particular time on this earth and then how we pass it on to the next generation who will be borrowing it for their particular time on earth mm-hmm. is a sacred obligation and duty mm-hmm. for all of us. Yeah, yeah that, that justice piece is very land-oriented. And I think, you know, American Protestants, especially white, obviously, Protestants, read these passages about the Israelites and they think it's the slavery that was bad and that's absolutely true. But it was slavery for a land use. So the, the Egyptians were the imperial agribusiness of the time. And I'm taking all of this from Ellen Davis's book, Scripture, Culture, Agriculture. And the Israelites, were, they were the, the slaves in that imperial agribusiness. Egypt, Egypt was in control of land use. And so to be given your own land... Uh, was enormously freeing because you're not dependent then on the empire for your food, for your daily sustenance. And to to be given that land and then t- the laws for how to use that land in a way that's just 
and not an imperial slaveocracy like mm. Egypt was. Um, I think that's an aspect of of this text and the whole Exodus story that we're we're coming into understanding of again. That that's it's not just the slavery; it's slavery and land use, which is also true of American history, mm-hmm. and the way that uh, the um, exploitation of black Africans and the genocide of indigenous people. It was about land use. And so it was that human injustice, but also this injustice to the way land was used. You think about, you know, uh, empires like America, like the, the British Empire, who would go into places where people had sustained themselves for as far back as memory and beyond would go. And then they come into a place and say, hey, stop growing your own crops. Just grow sugarcane mm-hmm. and we'll sell you your food. And you take a group of people who are self-sustaining and thriving on their land and you um, rob them of the ability to sustain themselves. And then when you, quote, I'm I'm doing the air quote things, (laughs) when you sustain them, you're also robbing them at an exorbitant rate. And the whole system was just unbelievably immoral. And so much of it was done in the name of God and of Jesus and of spreading the gospel which ended up being no gospel at all. Yeah. Mm, yes. Deborah, you have the honor of having had the first mention of Ellen Davis's scripture, culture and agriculture <laughs> on this podcast. I really am interested in seeing like what the tally of that, of those mentions uh, ends up being once this uh, podcast runs its course um, because Dr. Davis is so brilliant. Um, I'm really drawn to, and, and Josh, you kind of you you mentioned this before, but the fact that this whole story begins in a place where Moses is shepherding, and Moses is already in a posture where he is in a intimate relationship with creation before any of this starts, and we know how shepherding is thought of in the Hebrew scripture. Shepherding is what Abel did. Shepherding is what David did. Shepherding is sort of a thing that in and of itself, just kind of as a profession, is a is a conduit between God, creation, and humanity. And so the fact that, that Moses is shepherding in this moment, mm-hmm. I think is, is a really... Um, might we be missing our calls? Might we be missing our conversations with God because we aren't taking time to find those places of intimacy with creation? Might we be missing our burning bush experiences because our lives are so walled off from the created order? Our lives are so devoid of intimacy from God's creation. And I, I just, I, I'm absolutely struck by what feels like kind of a mundane detail here that, uh, oh, by the way, Moses was shepherding his, his father-in-law's flock. Um, and then the burning bush thing happened. But like, that's a really important detail here mm-hmm. that there's already this, um, again, this intimacy with creation, this, um, you know, um, the the language that we in Genesis two translate as "keep until" 
many Hebrew scholars believe can better be translated as serve and protect, which is what shepherds do. And ironically, not so much what police do. Um, but I, I find it interesting that in this space of serving and protecting God's creation is where Moses's call comes. And it's almost like he, he's going to be called to shepherd in a different way pretty soon. Yeah. To yeah. lead a group of people. And it's, it's like until he learns to engage with creation in this way, he's not going to be ready yeah. to engage with the human part of creation in this way. It's like creation itself is a training ground for what he's going to do yeah. in the world. And as you two pastors know, a lot of church people are as stubborn as sheep. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so where is the call? Where is there a call to action to the church in this passage, particularly around um, a call to action for our care of creation? I think the biggest thing for me that comes out and it really highlighted for me and you with you talking about it, Derek, was um, it's not that Moses wasn't doing a good thing, right? Like he's leading the sheep. He's like doing the family tradition, the family business, getting stuff done by all accounts, seems to be doing an adequate job. Oh, wait, er, like hard left turn. Everything's about to go. Nut. And, you know, Josh alluded to this, too. Um, and so I wonder about that as I think about sort of where the church is and the decline of church and the defensive posture it gives so many church people but wait we're doing everything we we're mm. doing what we were told to do we're doing all the right things what you want us to do more we're tired we've been doing that we did our turn somebody else's turn you know this kind of this posture that i hear a lot in churches and in even in my own church sorry friends if you're listening um but <laughs> well, you know and what is that next thing we we do and it's not again comes out for me that idea that we don't have to know all of how it goes or how it turns out or all the steps between here and there we just have to take the next faithful step you know and notice the bush maybe can we start there can we make the step even smaller that we're curious enough that's come up before that that we would even start to think about where we might be called that's not in line with the particular shepherding that we've been doing and we've been doing well and is what our family and generations have done etc etc like how it might invite us to consider doing more and that, that God provides when we do that is the other piece that comes up for me, mm. you know, you know, just Moses is like, but what am I going to say? I, I don't know, man. Like, how do I do this? And, you know, and God provides answers and support and steps and the next right thing each step of the way. So I think we can get paralyzed by the idea that we don't know how to conquer this problem. But I just I listened to another talk here at the at the goose and, you know, there were a lot of really concrete ways. There are churches and communities and small groups that are engaging their environment in more healthy and wholesome ways. And we think, oh, but we've got these bigger problems. Ah, church decline. We're all going to die. Ah, you know, and I, I just think what, what if we just took one step towards it? Whatever that what if it was just praying about it first? But let's not stop there. Right. Um, what if it's forming a focus group and talking about what if it's just noticing what if it's walking our neighborhoods and noticing where the need is um where there isn't food i mean where my church is is a food desert like what if we just start to notice and i know i think we're afraid to notice like may i keep my blinders on please so that i don't feel like i have to do anything about the problems that i'm witnessing and i, I get that that's a protective space but also 
what I find over and over again in the faithful responses of, of the prophets and of the people we hear about in scripture and the faithful responses of the people living and acting right now in this world is that when we take that faithful step and to peel back our blinders, we not only see the problem, we see what we can do about it. So for me, that's the biggest call in here is it's like, I, I'm not an ecological expert. Y'all, I kill plants so hard. It is sad. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You didn't know that before you brought me on your podcast. Like, I can't keep a peace lily alive, y'all. But, but, but there are things that I can do. And I can, you know, raise funds and talk to people and invite people into spaces uh, and find the people who can do the things that I can't do uh, and, and use the gifts that I do have because, uh, because we have to. It's imperative. There won't. We're worried about the church dying. I'm glad you're worried about it, but let's think about the planet dying because uh, there ain't no church, there ain't no planet. Yeah, and I think it's, the Old Testament is such a helpful um, set of stories as we try to remind church people that the church is not just about some spiritual realm, um, that the church has always been about justice, so tangible, and this is why God says, look, I, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I'm going to take you out of this horrible situation of injustice and bring you to a good land, that the relationship of people with land and with each other is all of a piece, and the church is about that. Now, I know this passage isn't about the church, but the people of God are called to be about that kind of justice. There's not this, we're all about the spiritual stuff, that's our gig, we're not going to dabble in other stuff, not our business. Um, but I think the Old Testament is a, a good way of saying, especially this absolutely foundational story of the Exodus, it's a good way of saying, yeah, everything is your business because mm, yes. here we are on this planet. We are trying to survive on this planet. We are not going to be able to do that without justice and that justice happens with systems and those systems are about relationships among people but between people and land as well. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to sound like a broken record but I think one of the messages is pay attention and I think that is one of the central we get so busy um, being worried about institutional stuff and making sure we're doing all the right things making sure we're trying to to your point keep the thing going mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know the idea of self-perpetuation is actually not the point of any of this um, you know, sometimes one of the things I'm always reminded of the rare occasion when I'm on a flight that is not on Southwest <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, I just tend to fly them because they end up being cheaper and let me check two bags is, is the whole moment when they close the curtain between the, the first class mm-hmm. and the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't see them. They don't see you. You don't know they exist. The reality is when that plane, if God forbid it goes down, it affects everybody in the same way. Yeah. Yes. And so this is, this is not an issue of like the church or Christianity or, or Judaism or Islam or Buddhism. This is a human issue. And what I love so much about the way the Bible begins in Genesis with creation is it begins as a, hu- it's, it's a human thing. You have, this, you have these first humans and they are being invited into this rhythm of creation, this rhythm of work and rest, this rhythm of caring for creation and also being cared for by creation. And I think as the church pauses to pay attention to very quite literally the grass and the ground beneath our feet, we begin to realize that this whole project we're all working on spending a lot of our time and energy on that we've given our lives to 
does not continue uh, unless we figure out how to, to care for and give creation at times a break. I mean, I don't think, mm. I, I think climate change at this point, if people are denying it, it's because they have not been out of their house or watched uh, any news in about 20 years. Um, th- there's a very real problem we're experiencing. And I, I think the church's job should be to join in sounding the alarm and to stop focusing just on how does this affect us. And gosh, if are there people in my church who if I start focusing on climate care too much, they're going to stop giving us money. Like, who cares <laughs> if they're giving you money if we don't have a planet that's inhabitable? And so I think the church should have a burning bush moment where uh, of both awe like look how amazing like we're outside right now look how amazing i mean it's miserably hot but otherwise it's real pretty and it's <laughs> and, and we're breathing air that is a gift to us and how amazing all that is but also um it's this invitation to to see it all as holy and then to do something to join in with the divine and to care for it cultivate it create it be cared for by it um, it really is kind of a beautiful mutual relationship. Yeah, but did you notice how it did cool down as we started having this conversation? Like God was like rewarding <laughs> us for. Yeah, that's what yeah. happened. Um, <laughs> it has nothing to do with those ominous clouds just <laughs> over there. It's a podcast; they they can't see that. You can edit that out later. <laughs> so, um, I'm springing something on you because we have a little bit of time. I love it. Um, let's write this um, eco-sermon right now. Hmm. We're going to preach this sermon from this text to our congregation. We want to give an ecological message from this passage to our community. How, how are we using this passage? What are we going to say? Where, where are we going to spend our energy? What's our, what's our focus going to be? You know, one of the big things that's come out for me just from this conversation is the idea that it doesn't get to be either or, you know, and the, if, if it were my context, which is, you know, Daytona Beach, Florida area, um, just late last year, two big hurricanes came through a lot of the city underwater. Um, my church in particular took a quarter million dollars worth of damage wow. and we already had, you know, maintenance issues like so many churches that are, you know, my church is a hundred years old now. And, um, you know, and it was, it, we, we could not do an either or like, oh, we've got a bunch of damage. We're going to work on that and not help our community. Not a choice. We've got to do the both end, right? So we've got to do the water mitigation in our own facility and all of that stuff. But we also opened up our doors. We collected goods. We distributed goods. We organized teams that could go out and move branches and, you know, whatever little bit we could do. Is it enough? Did it solve all the problems? Absolutely not. But we still don't get to do the either or, like, let's sit and lick our own wounds because we're having so many problems as church. But we have to also address the needs of our world, of our environment, our community. And that's an authentic message that I think will ring true with the very folks that are abandoning church and that we're so worried about and fretting over because they don't want to be in our church. And why don't they want to? Well, what are you doing, man? Like, how are you being present and loving and authentic and exhibiting the gospel and being the hands and feet of Christ at work in the world? It's not just by using all of its resources. So let's let's suit up and show up, right? Let's do the thing we say we are. And that's an authentic message that I think would reach folks. I know it did in our experience of, you know, doing hurricane relief work in the midst of our own hurricane struggles. And that's the message I would preach. I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> I'd probably ask people to... At the be- like as an introduction, right, to get them into the flow of what we're going to do. 
So just take a minute to think about a time when they were present in creation, fully present without distraction. They weren't checking their phone. They weren't worried about like being in the next place. It was whatever the ideal temperature for them is. Like, let, let's set this up as it, you're, you're in the moment. You, f- you feel it under your feet. You feel the air around you. You're, you're using your eyes to take in the, just the majesty in front of you. And for all of us, I bet right now, we're thinking of a completely different picture. I'm either on a mountain sort of situation or I'm at the beach. I'm one of those two. That, those are my places. If I'm in a meadow, I'm sneezing. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to avoid that scenario. But, but I, w- I want to put them in a place where they, they – may, and maybe I just love sunsets. I don't love sunrises because that requires yeah. being up too early. Yeah, yeah. But I love sunsets. And just that, that moment when the sky turns pink and orange mm-hmm. and, and you realize there's a really great scientific explanation for why. It's, it's about dust. Um, but the reality is it's just this, whatever that moment is for you where you're just completely enraptured and in awe of creation. And then to, to say, what if we allow that to be for us a burning bush moment to realize that there are future generations of us who will not have the benefit of that moment. They will not feel the divine speak to them through creation in the same way because we're turning this into a hellscape mm-hmm. that, that will not be able to sustain them or their families, that will not provide them with the... And I know we're talking farther down the road, but it seems like what we're learning is it's not, it's not as far... It's moving closer to us every single day. And so to just say, look, think about what you're feeling in that moment when you're in your place. And do you want anybody else to get to feel that and to experience that and, and to get to be... To realize this is home. I mean, so much of the theology we grew up with was like, let's, at least for me, was like, let's get out of here. This is, this world is not my home. Like, I don't know where else you're going, <laughs> but this place feels really like home to me. And I want other people to be able to put their sand, toes in the sand and to listen to the sound of the ocean hit the shore. I want them to stand on the top of that, that, or see that mountain and just be completely mesmerized by the fact that it's so large and yet also so gorgeous. I mean, so I, I think I would lean into inviting people to try to imagine a tactile experience they've had that made them want to take off their shoes and then use that as a call to action to say, now you have to, as somebody who has been uh, given this as a gift to enjoy, it is now your responsibility to make sure somebody else has this as a gift to enjoy. Mm. Yeah, Josh, I, I want to invite you to come to Michigan sometime and watch a sunset over Lake Michigan. Mm. <laughs> little bucket list item for you. All right. I'll take you out I'll there. I'll add it down. Yeah. It's a deal. Uh, you two are the preachers, not me. I, I would maybe combine some things that you said. I, I love this idea of a burning bush moment. And Katie, what you said earlier about Moses, he's doing a good thing. He's, he's doing good work. It's valid. It's important. It's sustaining his family. But there's this whole thing he's avoiding, which is the suffering of his own people. Yeah. Mm. And he, he ran, he literally ran away from that for good reason. Uh, it was threatening to him and he literally ran away and God is saying, turn aside and look at this and you need to do something. You need to go back and do something about the suffering of the people that you have turned your face away from. 
and you know you're saying katie god is sassy or you're thinking oh, of yeah. yeah god is sassy 100%. well moses is too i mean he says listen i'm gonna go to these people and they're gonna go who are you buddy so uh-huh. what do i say to them <laughs> and you know i think the point there and you were you were getting to this too katie is that god will equip and you are surprisingly more equipped than you think. Yes. You know, that at your work as a shepherd, Moses, is surprisingly relevant. There are transferable skills <laughs> from, you know, herding sheep around. We, we always say herding cats now, you know, but I think in the ancient Near East they would say, oh, it's like herding <laughs> sheep, these people. Um, you have surprisingly transferable skills. And I, I think one of the challenges right now for the church Bill McKibben was talking about this, Brian McClare and Diana Butler-Bass. What are our transferable skills Mm. that we have as church people? We know how to pray. We know how to sing. We know how to do potlucks. Okay, can we, you know, what are our transferable skills here? And it's probably different for every congregation. Yeah. What, What are the local needs? What are we turning our face away from? What is this burning bush this attentiveness that you're talking about. What is this inviting us into? How is God equipping us? What are our transferable skills? It, it's a way of, of saying, you know what? We're not doing bad things, but there's stuff we're not doing. And, and we can be doing it. God is calling us to do it. And God will equip us in ways that I think will surprise us. Mm. Are you sure you're not a preacher? <laughs> I'm married to one. It rubs off. <laughs> Thank you all for... Uh, being a part of this little experiment and uh, being a part of this launch and um, hope you all have a great rest of your goose. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, it was Derek. great to be here. So and good. also with you. <laughs> and also with you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Green Lectionary Podcast. This episode was recorded at the Wild Goose Festival, and a special thanks to Charles Breton. And it was produced by Derek Weston. The music was provided by Christian McIver. You can learn more about this and other programs of Creation Justice Ministries at creationjustice.org. Our story comes alive within these pages. For every time and place throughout the ages God speaks and is heard and the enduring word Calls us to care for our world as we share the love That can set creation free Restoring the earth to wholeness, peace and harmony Let the songs of the water, land, and sky resound Cause together we're all bound Within these pages There's always new life to be found